Hey everyone, this is In the Garden of Geekdom, episode number three. I'm Janice Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And this is a show where we watch an episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and a different piece of media along with it and talk about them. Deanna, what did we watch to prep for this episode? We watched the third episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and Promare. Yeah, Promare. A lot of a lot of anime in one movie. <laughs> so so much i had the most chaotic movie week ever it was so much <laughs> yeah outside of just promare too so on top of that it's gotta be amazing cool and what was your homework what did i make you pay attention to we were paying attention to flashy animation and tanks and vehicle designs and things like that yeah things in fights and yeah flashy's flashy's the big deal. And you know, Promare, a very subtle, toned down movie. When you told me it was Studio Trigger and that they had done some of the Star Wars ones, I was like, oh, I know which episodes like, <laughs> yeah. right away. Because I remember watching that show and I was like, oh my eyes, what just happened to them? That is honestly the big Studio Trigger vibe. When they announced the Star Wars Visions episodes, uh, I remember watching the trailer and being like, two of those are Trigger, for sure. <laughs> like, they have an aesthetic, and that hits it exactly. I should watch that show, huh? You should. I think you'd like it. I don't know what your mileage is with Star Wars, honestly, but I don't think it's your favorite thing. So I've seen the main movies. I've seen some of Clone Wars. It's a cute thing. I'm just not big into it. I don't like space. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big part of it. Exactly. So understandable. But I think you would like looking through the different animation styles because the first episode, one, not the first episode I would have picked for that show because it was just like so different from everything else. And I was like, this is so weird, but I love it. <laughs> and it's not that long. Yeah, I should definitely check that out. I think it's shorter than Azalkin. Yeah. Episode-wise. And I've seen Azalkin like four times at this point, so... Did that just come out like two years ago? Yeah, I really like it a lot. Apparently there's a live-action one, too. Oh, cute. I'll have to check that out. I think it's six episodes. They tighten it down. Speaking of Azalkin, can you recap what happened in this episode? So, like most creative people do, they try to fix up the space some more, and then get distracted by their creative things. I thought you might relate to that a little bit. <laughs> and they go off and, you know, get distracted by butterflies and all sorts of other things. And you have this budget meeting where, you know, they're going to ask for funding, and then they finally start working on their first idea. And you kind of see them already realizing that they need to compromise, because you have two of them just sort of working on their own ideas. And then they're like, oh, I don't know how these work together. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And as thank God for Kanamori, because she really is there to ground them over and over again. But she points out when they're having a meal planning for that budget deliberation committee meeting where she's like, we have 55 days. If it's a five minute short and we're doing 12 frames per second, you need to make 3,600 frames in that amount of time. And they're like, maybe it's a three minute short. But <laughs> yeah, so they're already like going back and forth on those. We learn a lot about animation. Well, we don't learn as much about animation in this episode as we did like in the previous one where we got all big into equipment. Yeah. But there's a little bit where uh, Mizusaki does a segment on 
how animators recreate and study human motion where you get to see like the guy in the studio stand up and pull out his sword and like <laughs> wiggle it around and how they'll like basically just record and watch people do real things to have them as a reference so that they can try and mimic that. It's funny because I know like comic book artists will do similar things. They'll like mm-hmm. take pictures of their own hands and <laughs> take pictures of other things, other people to have reference material because guess that's just how it works because I always thought it was wild that people could just like see these things in their mind and then make them yeah on the page and I was like how do they do this and then I was like oh a bunch of them actually do have a lot of reference material yeah a lot of references and a lot of practice like I can't imagine well yeah that too how many times they've drawn hands to succeed in an endeavor like that like hands are just so weird I'm just looking at my own right now. <laughs> I feel like hands are literally the worst to draw. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who loves drawing them, though. <sighs> She's just like, they're my favorite. I'm like, you're strange. What a powerful person. <laughs> what a like next level talent, because that's rough. <laughs> One of the things that Mizusaki says is like being an animator is like being an actor, uh, but you have to portray more than just humans. I feel like that's the same with those comic book artists, too. Like you're mm-hmm. not only trying to show people like the movements and the motion of how a person would do in a situation or like what a hand looks like. You have to build the whole world yeah. behind those people. Exactly. Ugh, it's awesome. It's a lot of work. And when they talk about compromises, yeah, absolutely. They have to think about, because Mizusaki really wants to do like humans and motions. Asakusa wants to do like a tank and these cool like space ideas. And so they're trying to like mix those together to have some schoolgirl fight a tank for the budget delivery <laughs> meeting. But even then, Kanamori is like, you're not going to be able to do as much as you want to do. Y'all have to realize that, right? Yeah, they are very ambitious. Mm-hmm. So only doing something that's three to five minutes, even though that's going to take a very long time because animation takes a long time, it's like they can't help but go overboard with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they're like storyboarding that little idea at the end, you can just yeah. imagine like, oh, that's a lot of work. What did you think of it overall? I think of the episodes so far, this one probably grabbed me the least just because I'm a big process person and they kept getting distracted and I was like, nope, let's get to work. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the Kanamori in this situation. I'm sure you're very surprised. <laughs> Me wanna work? You oscillate wildly, I think, between all three. So it's it's a good it's a good balance. Deanna is all three characters in one. Minus the money. <laughs> minus the money. Minus the money. I mean we're all minus the money. I like the little prayer they do to the money at the end. And kind of more is just like, may you please talk to your friends and fill my pocket with more later. That reminded me of I don't know, that kind of thing. Yeah, Janice, at first you texted me too when you were watching this and you were like, you're going to be attacked by this episode. And then you were like, wait, just kidding. That's episode four. And I have been patiently waiting to watch episode four now. Oh, it's going to be fun. But I feel like every episode of this show is probably going to attack me. Just a little bit. There's stuff in episode four where I was like, oof, Deanna's going to send an angry text about this. (laughs) It's fine. I'll live. So one of the things from this episode that I kept thinking about when we were watching Promare Mm -hmm. was the tank design, because I felt like even though there weren't exactly tanks in Promare, all of the freeze force vehicles were kind of the same build 
as tanks, even though they technically weren't. Yeah, they're very similar shape. They have the treads and everything, and yeah, they run over a lot of people. They do, but Janice, I did not look up anything about who made this movie. (laughs) So can you please tell me? Yeah. So you recognized on the spot with Star Wars Visions that Studio Trigger has a distinct style. And I think that that (laughs) stood out probably to you whenever you watch this. So yeah, this is a 2019 movie that they made. It's uh, co-produced by them and another studio called X-Flag. And the 3D CGI animation is done by another studio called Sonsigan Inc. The director of Promare is a man named Hiroyuki Imaishi, and he is a co-founder of the Studio Trigger. Okay. But before he was in Studio Trigger, he worked at Gainax, which is another big production company, and he was the director of Grenlogan and a show called Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt. And then after Trigger showed up on the scene, they did Kill a Kill, they did that Star Wars episode. He actually directed the, the Twins episode of Star Wars Visions. Okay. Before he was a director of all these things, he was the key animator for Neon Genesis Evangelion, which we've mentioned a few times. Maybe we'll watch Evangelion sometime. I'm starting to watch Evangelion now. Will we? I don't know. It would make Mitchell happy, but and he might be one of our five listeners, so it might be good to cater to that audience. But um, I'm watching the rebuild movies right now for the first time, and uh, it could we could maybe do it. Anyway, this guy was a animator for Evangelion, and he also did, like, the Metabot show that was for kids that was on TV show around, like, the same time that you would be watching, like, Digimon and uh, Beyblades. I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo and Pokemon. Okay, okay, that's fair. Those are good, too. And then he was an animation director for a show called Fully Cooly, which is spelled FLCL. And the thing that I just want to bring out by pulling out those three is that this dude loves robots and fights. That tracks. <laughs> yeah. He loves a good robot. So does our friend Margo. Yeah. Margo loves a robot. Promare was written by Kazuki Nakashima. He was the head writer for Grand Lagan, for Kill a Kill, and for a newer show called BNA, Brand New Animal. And all this to say, he basically works a lot with the director Imaishi and Studio Trigger. He also wrote something called Batman Ninja, which I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, I've seen it. The music in this is off the charts amazing. The score is by Hiroyuki Sawano. He also does the musical scores for Attack on Titan, Blue Exorcist, Kill a Kill, Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn, a lot of other shows. These are all TV shows and they're very good. Okay, Janice, I lied. I have not seen Batman Ninja according oh. to my letterbox. So I was definitely thinking Batman Gotham Knights. So maybe you have to see Batman Ninja. <sighs> there are so many Batman movies and games that are very similarly named and I can never get them right. If Batman Ninja is written by the person who does Gurren Lagann, Kill a Kill, and Promare, it has got to be wild. I swore I had watched this, but apparently I did not. I think I have it, though. Either way, it's on HBO Max, so I will watch it and (laughs) report back to you next episode. Maybe not next episode. We're recording that in like five days. Yeah, maybe not next episode, but soon. We'll put a little check in. Did Deanna watch Batman Ninja? We'll see. And so one of the reasons just to let you know why I chose this is that we've gone from pretty old stuff. We went from Nausicaa and Akira, some of the like original animated movies that people our age are aware of. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to jump to something when we're talking about flashy animation, something that had come out really recently. That's fair. 
this seemed like a good <laughs> jump out of the fire into, well, not at fire into the frying pan. This is like a jump out of the warm, comfortable outdoors and into the giant ice <laughs> bath. I think this would have been more jarring had I not watched the Star Wars show. Because then once you told me that this studio did flashy things and did a couple of the Star Wars episodes, I went, oh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It was still a lot, though. So much. I have so many questions. Yeah, I can't wait for your questions. So I was just going to say, uh, as we recap the plot, as we tend to do, feel free to pop in at any point with questions. Okay. The plot of Promare is that one day, 30 years ago, a portion of the human population spontaneously combusted when overloaded with anger and negative emotions and killed half the world's population in an event called the Great World Blaze. So we jumped to 30 years later in a city called Promopolis, and they're recovering from it. Uh, I have a question for you, Deanna, and that is, can you think of a movie we've seen recently that has people who ride motorcycles and is about an event that happened to like 30 years ago where someone hulked out on psychic powers and killed a bunch of people? Doesn't sound familiar at all. I have yeah, no idea what you're talking about. It's weird. Um, so I wrote in my notes, Akira reference? Um, but yeah. They do do the motorcycle thing. They do. I did catch that. Leo's got a cool motorcycle and uh, Gallo's got a cool motorcycle. I think Ina is the one who does the slide, though. Oh, does she do the slide? I wasn't even looking for the slide, but you're probably right. When she, like, flies out of the plane on the motorcycle to get... Yeah! Oh yeah. my gosh, I didn't even notice the Canada slide. <laughs> Can't believe it. I told you to look out for it, and then here we are. <laughs> I did my homework. Excellent. Back to the plot. So some people, when they're born, randomly develop fire powers and also can end up being forever young, like our second main guy, Leo Fatia. Like, there's that Twilight joke that's like, how old are you? 16. How long have you been 16? <laughs> A while. And that's that's Leo. So Leo's been the leader of the bad Mad Burnish for a long time. He's probably like 40 or 50 years old, but he looks like he's like 18. If that. If that, yeah, at best. But these people who randomly develop the fire powers, they're called Burnish, and they are, we find out later, psychically linked to aliens in the Earth's core called Promare. That's the name of the movie. Yes. The Burnish people face a lot of discrimination in society, and the police faction called the Freeze Force is, like, under the guise of quote-unquote anti-terrorism activities, uh, they are rounding up and arresting all the Burnish, regardless of if they have done anything wrong or not. There are teams of firefighters. Uh, the team that we join is called Burning Rescue, and they set out to put out the fires that are caused by the Burnish. The fires sometimes are intentional, sometimes unintentional. The Burnish just gotta burn. Yeah, I have a question. Mm -hmm. With that first fight, when we first, you know, get introduced to all of the bad guys. Everyone. Yeah. Did I watch someone give like a whole presentation before fighting the bad guys? Oh, yeah. About how firefighters, the Metoy firefighter thing? Yeah, why? Okay, so Gallo is our blue-haired himbo firefighter who has a heart of gold and a soul of steel and... I also have more questions about him in a minute. <laughs> okay. He's obsessed with the idea of becoming a firefighter because the governor Cray has like encouraged him to do so and Cray had saved him from a burnish fire when he was a kid. Did he though? Allegedly. 
<laughs> There's two little short 20 minute or 10 minute prequels that go to this if if you want extra homework, but you don't want extra homework, but other people might be interested. There's a little episode about Leo okay. and there's a little episode about Gallo and both are about what happens literally like the day before this. Okay. And so what you learn from that is that it is actually Gallo's very first day of being a firefighter. Yeah, they keep calling him rookie, but it's unclear if it's like his first day or what. Oh, but he does give a presentation. So he, I guess he got like obsessed with the idea of these firefighters and like in the old time firefighters in Japan had all the stuff. And so he's he's teaching us, the audience, why he has that little matoy thing. It was so much. I was like, <laughs> is it PowerPoint night all of a sudden? I also like the title cards as each character shows up so that you like get to learn their names in a very stylish way. Yes, I did notice that too. But my second question, Janice. Mm-hmm. Fighting fires without a shirt on. <laughs> also, why? That seems very not smart. Yeah. I wish I had a good answer for why Gallo does the things he does other than style. But he is an idiot at heart, and we love him for it. But here's the thing. If you work at a fire station, Janice, you don't get to just do whatever you want. In anime, you do, Deanna. Also, it looks cool. So <laughs> here's here's part of what I don't fully know and what I need to learn more about, but like I've never delved into this too much. But in Gurren Logan, there is a main character named Kamina who is a blue-haired guy with big spiky hair who has the power of masculinity and undying optimism and it pilots a mecca and convinces everyone to like band together and unify to beat the bad guys and achieve the impossible he also is only ever wearing pants constantly shirtless and so i don't know if gallo's design is just a shout out to kamina from ground Logan or if they just like making dudes who look like this <laughs> but yeah uh, I think, because so, jumping ahead, we learned that Cray didn't actually save him, mm-hmm. and that uh, he hates Gallo, and he wants Gallo to die so that he doesn't have to deal with him anymore. Maybe he's shirtless and allowed to be shirtless because Cray's like, let the kid do whatever he wants. It's fine. And he's like, maybe he'll die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess we can go with that. That's the best I can justify, is that... I feel like Gallo is to Cray what Sonic is to Dr. Robotnik. He just won't die. Yes. Yeah, just won't die. Just a sore thumb. Absolutely. Shout out, if you haven't seen Sonic 2 yet, please do, because it's so good. Janice, by the time everyone is hearing this... <laughs> our five listeners better have watched Sonic 2, because they are should be the people who are our friends. I'm obviously still thinking about Sonic, so yeah, that was fun. Is that all of your questions about Gallo? Mostly. Okay. <laughs> Fair. So Gallo ends up fighting Leo, who is the leader of the Mad Burnish team, and uh, their fight is over-the-top silly. And, like, Leo is portrayed as smarter than Gallo, but I don't know if that's true, because when they fight to get against each other, they're just both little little dummies. Um but Leo is actually getting his crew captured on purpose so that he can try and free the Burnish from these experiments that are being done on them by the Cray Foundation. They bust out of jail. Mm-hmm. Gallo finds them in a cave. They have a good conversation about racism. 
and discrimination. And uh, Gallo discovers that his hero, Cray Foresight, the governor of Promopolis, actually sucks and is using the burnish as fuel to teleport uh, a chosen 10,000 people to another planet somewhere so that they can escape Earth because it's becoming inhabitable because of the burnish. Yeah, they really go full evil on this one. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Whole giant evil lair and like giant ship and they go all the way cray is so cartoonishly evil it is wild yeah but then there's a point later on where the two of them are working together against cray and leo's just like what the hell are you talking about because (laughs) gallo's going on like this whole big thing and i was like i have the same question because i don't know what's happening right now (laughs) I feel like they do too much of announcing and explaining what they're doing while they're doing it. Yeah, that is a trigger himbo thing. They love to just over-explain the whys and hows of their own emotions. This is something that both Gallo and Kamina have in common. The only time I like it is when Lucia is making things and telling the other characters what they do because I think she's great and kind of steals like all of the scenes she's in. Her and Vinny, it's great. All the mad scientists in this are good. All the birds get rounded up except Leo and then a week passes. He's like in a volcano. He becomes super strong, hulks out, turns into a dragon. Cool, you know, standard anime stuff. Gala is able to like calm him down and they find a... <laughs> secret lab hidden under a frozen lake where the glitch ghost of Professor Deus Prometh, what an interesting name, is there to tell them that Craig killed him, took all his stuff to become rich, and also Professor Deus has a mech that the two of them can pilot together to try and stop Craig from teleporting everyone off the planet because as soon as the burnish all get burned up in pain, the earth is going to explode. Normal stuff. Standard stakes. Um, so they get in the mech, literally called the Deus Ex Machina, then proceed to have just like cool sick fight after cool sick fight. They find out that Cray, he's also a burnish. Gallo vows to save Leo, save the earth, save Cray, and he does it because in anime, anything is possible. You can solve climate change, you can solve corruption, you can solve violence, all with the power of ambition and maybe kissing some guy. And then, so Leo and Gallo together learn how to combine the human will that Gallo has and the burning power of the Promare to do one last big burn, save the planet, and the Promare are able to go back to outer space. And then everyone on on Earth is normal after that. Totally normal. Everything's fine. Totally normal. I am a little annoyed that for the most part, they just had Ina chasing after Gallo for like half of this movie. Yeah. So I like Studio Trigger a lot. I don't think their women characters are good. Even when they do a whole show about women characters like Kill a Kill, it's not great. Like, they they had that nice moment at the frozen lake, Mm -hmm. and then it just went downhill from there. And I was like, what happened? And every time she's piloting her little, like, ship, she's got 
she's in ass out pose for no reason. It really doesn't need to be like that. I like the her and her sister's dynamic of like loving and caring about each other because Harris commits some war crimes just yeah. so that she just can save Ina. And then the minute that she realizes that Ina's not going to be safe, she's like, well, what was the point? And just makes everything backfire. So I like that dynamic with them. And Lucia is a good character, but who boy, this is not a great treatment of respecting women. Because <laughs> so I was like, is she just going to spend the rest of the movie chasing after him, wondering where he is? Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. That, that was what happened. I was like, well, that was disappointing. <laughs> That's her whole thing. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Movies, please. One of the things that I paid a lot of attention to this time that I had never paid attention to before were like, I was trying to like extract a lot of themes from this, but also like staring down some of these motifs. So I think when we're talking about like everything, we should really get into those motifs. But man, this is a visually heavy piece of work, but a lot of it's about like fire and ice and Mm -hmm. the director has said that he was interested in the concept of a flame which is an indefinite shape as opposed to like ice which is like a crystalline structure and a presence that can only be recognized when it's moving it's a motif similar to animation which can only bring picture to life by moving it imaishi said that and he also said that uh this is a quote I pulled because of your feelings on Studio Trigger, but uh, he, he said that expressing the high-wired characters from Mr. Nakajima's script with uh, Mr. Koyama's cool and pop design and colors filled the film with both parts that were easy to watch and parts that were excessive. So he recognizes... That it's excessive. <laughs> that it is ex- visually assaulting. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. I went from watching this to watching a 1982 Stephen King short film that was the exact opposite Just like dark and calm. whatever this was. Yeah. That's great. But there were some moments that reminded me of like other things. Like I think I texted you and I was like, this kind of reminds me of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and then at the end when they do like the the Gallo de Leon, like, mecha thing, whatever they're doing. Yeah. The thing that Gallo starts saying, it just kind of reminded me of, like, the Green Lantern chant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, that's in Brightest Day and Blackest Night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. And that felt like what this was, just without (laughs) all of those words. Yeah, I can see that. It's his own little vow to... Yeah, it's it's the little oath. So comparing the two pieces of media, I've got some questions for you, Deanna. I'll try to have answers. Does Promare feel flashy to you at all? So much it hurts. <laughs> what about what about keep your hands off Isoken? Not so much, because like the color palette of that is kind of more muted. So it's not <laughs> as like visually assaulting on your eyes. Yeah. I think that that is like the perfect example of the thing that Mizusaki and Kanamori are arguing about because mm-hmm. you look at Promare and you can recognize that this is a big, flashy, heavy-handed animation kind of thing. And then when you, the what Mizusaki likes is like when motions are really accurate or when motions are like facial expressions and all these things are really detailed and stuff. And that to her is like flashy, impressive animation. But to people who 
aren't animators, aren't trained to look at that, it's easy to take how well done Keep Your Hands Off Isokin is for granted and not think of it as quote unquote flashy. I think of the three movies we've watched so far, Mm -hmm. the show is the most like Nausicaa as far as like the color palette goes and the wind and the planes and other vehicles and things like that. But because Akira is like watching a Batman movie. (laughs) Yeah. And this is, I don't... Have I seen anything live action that would be like this? I don't think so. I still really would love for you to watch the live action Speed Racer movie because okay. I think that when you see it, you'd be like, okay, so this is the live action kind of promare thing. <laughs> like, this is where you take. Okay, I'll add that to the list. Another question for you, based on what we've learned about backgrounds, conveying motion, blah, 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 from all the episodes so far, what stuck out to you in the animation of Bromare? I think the blah, blah, blah part (laughs) stuck out to me. Yeah. No, I think a lot of the like you were saying earlier, like the title cards mm-hmm. with the name introductions and locations and all that stuff. And whenever like the new tech was introduced, mm-hmm. and it just had to be like super flashy. <laughs> I did kind of enjoy that. I really like the way that they do fire. And I really like the way that they do smoke and explosions in this movie. Mm. I would think about that and like the motion aspect of it a lot um, as I was watching it. And so the thing that I think is really cool about like the motifs of this, I'm just gonna go on a little TED talk for a minute. But when I watched it this time, I was like, there's a lot of shapes. There's This is the shapiest movie I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And so- Lots of shapes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I wonder if the shapes mean something, like if the shapes are like associated with specific things. And I noticed that like triangles specifically are only really used on fire and the burnish. And so all the flame Mm -hmm. animations even are like super triangle heavy. And then there's a lot of squares, like, but all the straight up squares are like more things that are machines that Burning Rescue has. Like they have the the, vehicles, the vehicles, they have the cubes that they put people in to rescue them. The ice that they shoot is all squares. Mm -hmm. Um, And when like the burnish burnt out and turn into ash, um, they're like ashy bodies are kind of a grid before it dissolves into like the triangle ash. Mm-hmm. Cray Foresight is a big rectangle guy. Promophilus <laughs> is rectangles. His building is rectangles. All of the like art on the like upper levels of his foundation are rectangles. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at like the freeze force, there's stuff is also squares, but it's got like these crossbars across them or like a bunch of diamonds. Mm-hmm. And, and so it looks like you're putting bars on the square that make these like triangle shapes. Yeah. So it made me think about how they're jailing all the burnish. Um, and a lot of the underground of Cray's foundation looks like that. And then there's only a couple of times where circles are there. This The freeze force has stuff with circles on them, the ships and the clothes. And also the only other people who like have circly type motifs are like the old man that sells out the burnish and Harris, Ina's <laughs> sister. And both of those people are being like manipulated by... I forgot about the old man. <laughs> the old man sucks. He's so over the top. He's so over the top. And he thinks that he's going to be like saved by like ratting everybody out. And then he just gets turned into fuel too. It's rough for the old man. 
when I noticed that the old man and Harris had circle glasses, I like started looking at like, cause I was like, Remy on the burning force has glasses. What are his glasses shape? And then they cut to him and his are like a rectangle shape or like a totally <laughs> different like geometry even. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh man, it really is only these like two people who have the circles. So I don't know what all that means, but I paid attention a lot to it this time. There was also like there a lot of black and, black and white motifs with Leo wears black and Cray wears white. So it's like an inverse of good and bad mm-hmm. in that. And then the pink fire destruction and the blue, the like icy no harm. So I thought a lot about use of color and shapes when they do things like animate the fire. And there's so much of both in this. There's so much of both. So much. <laughs> and then we talked about it a little bit, but did you notice any things that were animated specifically in this episode of Aizouken that showed up in the movie? You had said the tank. Yeah, the the tanks. And was this the episode where they were going over the explosions and how to duplicate them? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, duplicating explosions. Yeah. One thing that I really like is, and I didn't notice, like, it was almost like a f- twist of fate that these were together. But I don't know if you remember, but when Gallo shows up on the scene to fight Leo, he, like, ends up landing headfirst into the ground and they're like, is he dead? And then when Gallo and Leo together in the Gallo de Leon and they go to fight Cray, they land head first into, so they're like falling both times. But in this episode of Aizouken, when Mizusaki is talking about like the kind of realistic stuff she wants to animate, she's like, I want to like slide down a hill and then like fall. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that shows impressive animation to me. And so I like had that pop up in my brain, like, oh, that's so funny. And she already fell on her head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, As- Asakusa also fell. So they, they love falling. It's impressive to show a fall, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the bit that I have prepared for you today is called, uh, there's a dakimakura for that. Deanna, do you know what a dakimakura is? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Okay. So a dakimakura is the Japanese word for like a... People call them love pillows, too. It's like a pillowcase or a pillow that is shaped in a way or has art on it of a character uh, that people like. So you can buy a pillow with your, like, favorite girl or boy from a show and then sleep, like, hugging it. Okay. And so uh, I said that this bit I designed to scar you specifically. Uh, So what I would like to do is send you links (laughs) to some dakimakura and another kind of product and just have you describe what you see and how it makes you feel. I want to like, as a caveat, say to our listening audience that this is in no way like a judgment of the art on these things. I think that all of these are beautifully done and people should buy them if that's what they want in their life because these artists do a great job. It's just more the concept of a dakimakura and explaining it to uh, Deanna, who is a normie, that I am entertained by. So so here's the first one. Oh, no. Could you describe what you see here? Oh, and there's two sides, usually. So you get you can choose which mood you want. Okay, that is something. <laughs> okay, so Deanna's staring at it. So this is a pillow or a pillowcase? This is a pillowcase that you can put on a pillow. This one is. So does it even come with a pillow? Uh, no, you have to buy your own pillow. This is too much, Janice. Yeah. Okay, so what's what's on side one and side two here? So much gallo. So much gallo. So much. 
On side one, we have him in his regular clothes. Which is to say half of them are missing. Yeah, but he's in his firefighting gear. Which apparently does not come with a shirt, once again, or a jacket, like normal. Yeah. But he's just carrying the jacket. So that's if you want your regular gallo-hugging experience. Why does it seem like he's punching you in the face, though? I don't know. That's just what he's like. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then side two... Was he ever in normal clothes like this? No, he's never in normal clothes. So we're getting to see a new side of him on the uh, second side of the pillow. Okay. He's in, what, jeans and a button-up that's not buttoned? It's not buttoned. He's doing like a sensitive Jeff Goldblum in a Jurassic Park kind of pose where he's yes, got his open shirt. That's accurate. Okay. And his leg. So so that's that's our that's accurate. gallo pillow number one. Uh, so here's pillow number two. Um, if you're not a gallo person... I'm going to start getting so many weird ads now, Janice. (laughs) Sorry. But at least Leo is clothed. Mm -hmm, It's true. So side one. Side two, real quick. Okay. Why are the clothes just so randomly ripped? Is this like post-battle Leo? Like what's going on here? I don't understand. He's not at his strongest because, you know, Leo's super strong. He's got all these powers and whatever. So he's more subdued here. Uh, It seems like he's potentially been injured or he's a little bit more vulnerable so many buckles yeah you really don't notice how many buckles they have in their clothes until you look at this this seems like so much work to get dressed (laughs) so many buckles i wonder if they even have to like go to the bathroom and stuff like normal (laughs) they eat they eat so they have to because like i was like maybe he never has to take his clothes off but i guess he would have to at some point i assume they all shower still hopefully Okay, so we've got side one, regular Leo, side two, just a sideways pose. With ripped clothes for whatever reason. And like some fire on him. He's got some some fire coming off. Uh, Daki Makara number three, headed your way. This is more of a... uh, (laughs) What is happening? Deanna just made a face (laughs) that like she opened her mouth as wide as it could and she has like her eyebrows in that like questioning pose and she like started to say something and then just kind of like... You could see some hope leave her body. Janice, I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. (laughs) You're looking at a pillow that has two sides. But why? Because this is a product that people buy. (laughs) This is something people want. Side one, we've got regular Leo again. And side two, what's on that side? Leo as a maid? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We've got maid cafe Leo with like ribbons and... In his hair. Why? Some people think boys look real cute when they're in maid outfits. So in in addition to teaching you about the concept of a dakimakura, I'm going <laughs> to tell you about... Do you have an ergonomic mouse pad? No. Do you know what I'm talking about where they have the like gel at the wrist? Uh-huh. I used to have one. I don't have one right now. Did yours have a solid bar of gel or did it have like two side-by-side ones where you could nestle your wrist between the two? <laughs> It had a solid one. It sounds like you're already a little bit apprehensive of what I'm about to do. Um, so I hate this thing exists, but people make quote unquote, we can talk about semi-adult things here, right? This is this is <laughs> not funny. a, we curse on this podcast. Okay. People make mouse pads that have, are usually of anime women and they make the two ergonomic portions their boobies. I don't approve of that. That seems really sexist. However... Because I'm, I guess, sexist or something. When it's a man, <laughs> suddenly I'm like, yeah, this is fine. So uh, here's another link for you. This one is artfully, the photo is taken, so you can't quite see <laughs> what we're dealing with. 
It's amazing. But we've got a Gallo ergonomic mouse pad where his pecs are. Janice, why do you know these things exist? I have been on the internet too long and I am too old of an anime person. <laughs> Here's your last link. <laughs> <laughs> You can see where I have a problem with the concept of booby mouse pads when it's a woman. <laughs> oh, this one's really cute. It's got Gallo. He's just winking at you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, my face hurts. I have a hard time understanding why people... Because then you have to put the mouse on their faces. And I'm like, why are you doing this? This seems bad. But anyway... I, I I don't know. I don't have answers for any of this. This concludes uh, my segment. There's a Dakimakura for that. I tried to do this for everything else we watched, but one, I didn't want to see what they did to Nausicaa because if they did, I didn't didn't want to deal with it. Um, Two, for Akira, it was surprisingly hard to find anything. I was really hoping for like a motorcycle body pillowcase. Because I thought that would be cool, but nah. So if somebody's an artist out there and you want to make the world's best Dakimakura, you should make one about Akira, but make it specifically just Kaneda's motorcycle. Janice, I cannot unsee any of those things. You're welcome. That wasn't a thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to anime. It's a lot. Fandom fandom is a lot. All right, anyway, that concludes... That bit. Do you have any overall opinions on the pieces of media that we didn't say? Did you like Promare? I thought it was fun. Mm -hmm. My least favorite of what we've watched so far, though. Like, it's not bad, but I think we kind of already talked about the problems we had with it. It's the least plot-y of them and the most silly, for sure. Earlier this week, you had asked me what my favorite animated thing was, and I responded with the TV show Gurren Lagann. Um, which I still so, don't know what that is, but which you still don't know what that is. But it was kind of funny to me because it is basically like Promare is Gurren Logan on crack because Gurren Logan gets to be a full TV show that has many episodes, and Promare has to condense all this like balls to the wallness in a tight two hours. But that is to say that I love Promare. I it's not. I would never say that it's like great cinema but oh my gosh I love watching it every time I'm just like like I start out the movie whispering like hell yeah and then as it goes I'm like hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah and then like by the end you're just like hell yeah this is the best so by the end of it I was like Janice I have a headache uh so it's a it's a hype me up movie but I love things that are like this so this was a lot it's a it's a big one for me this was so much speaking of so much our next episode we're going to do a little bit much more. What are we going to be watching? We are going to watch the fourth episode of Azaukin, which is Hold That Machete Tight. Yeah. That sounds violent, but... It's we, it's fine. It's we know I love fun. that. And then we are watching Paprika by Satoshi Kon. Yes. And that is going to be a different kind of a lot. Oh, good. When you watch it, <laughs> Satoshi Kon is an amazing director and i think that just extremely talented in the director realm um so i would like your homework to be to pay attention to the direction the pacing the camera movements the frames one thing that i probably said before if not i'll say it eight thousand more times over the course of this is the thing about animation is that every single choice is deliberate 
And so everything that is in a scene in a Satoshi Kon movie is there for a reason. And because it's not like you can draw something on accident. Mm -hmm. And so watching this movie specifically, it's one of the ones that is the most visually assaulting, but in a totally different way than Promare. So I look forward to you watching it. I look forward to hearing what you think. And I hope everyone else enjoys it too. You won't regret it, probably. In the Garden of Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore Guiden. 